we've been in a teaching series that we have been navigating through um, 1 Corinthians. We are in chapter 7, and I I have to confess with you, I'm, I'm glad that we are past a little bit of last week's chapter 7, um, which was all about, you know, um, it's, it's really about marriage, sexuality, and things like that. And so um, I think I, I, I was sweating a lot last week as I was trying to communicate the message, and I probably said some things I shouldn't have said, and that's okay, but, um, you know, it just is what it is. So luckily, luckily um, you guys are forgiving, and, and God is forgiving, but we are, we're navigating through this. We've called it uh, We Are the Church, and we're looking at... Um, Really, we're, we're, we're looking at what Paul is addressing to the, um, the Corinthian believers, uh, the church in Corinth. As you guys know, the church in Corinth um, had a, a lot of questions. They had a lot of things they were trying to figure out. And so they had reached out to Paul, and um, they, they, they said, hey, we've we got a whole bunch of things we, we need you to address. And so really the first uh, six chapters are... Paul addressing things he's heard, things that has been communicated to him, and in, in, a, in a loving way, he's kind of rebuking them, but he's doing it in a way of going, man, I care about this church, I planted the church, I care about you guys as, as you know, believers, and I want what's best for you, God wants what's best for you. And then really, chapter 7 through um, the rest, 16, Paul spends his time answering a lot of the specific questions that the, uh, the believers, that they have. Now, as we continue in chapter 7, I just want to make sure this is clear. This is not a full sort of theology of, of marriage that Paul is giving right here. In order to do that, you've gotta, we've got to pull in different parts of God's word to get that. But, but Paul is giving um, some of it he's going to give, which is um, he's going to say this is actually from Jesus. And he'll make that very clear. And there's other parts of it where he says, hey, this is sort of my advice or my opinion or this is what God has given me and it's it's probably good wisdom that you should you should lean into um we know that God used of course Paul spoke through Paul um to to write you know three quarters of the New Testament but Paul is making it very clear like there are certain things he's going to address that Jesus addresses specifically and he'll talk about that and then there's other things that Paul is going to answer the questions that they have that I get it, they're asking questions like you and I do, that we go, man, Jesus really doesn't hit on this specifically. It's kind of an area that we go, we could debate this. And so Paul goes, look, I, I know that Jesus didn't address this specifically, but based on sort of my wisdom, my experience, uh, what God has given me, uh, I, I think this is sort of what's best. This is the, the best way that you could live your life. And so Paul will go through that, and, and he's going um, to address that. And, and I love it because... At, at no point does, um, does Paul really, he's not disclaiming that he's been given sort of this divine inspiration by the Holy Spirit. In fact, he's going to do the opposite. He's, he makes it very clear that, no, the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul, right, through me. He's actually speaking through him um, to give the church in Corinth the wisdom that they need for, for marriage and for a, a whole bunch of other stuff. And really, it's stuff that we can take today that, you know, in, in 2022, moving into 2023, it, it's wisdom for our lives as well. And I, I love how God's word transcends time, right? It just doesn't matter. Um, the, the things that these guys were dealing with then are the very same co- sort of questions and things that we deal with today as, as believers, as a church, that we wrestle through and, and we battle. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to start in, uh, in verse 
8, and we're going to read some verses, and then I'm going to do my best to sort of unpack this for us and, and get through it. All right, here we go. It says this, to the unmarried and, and the widows, I say uh, that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. So here he's making that reference. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So Paul is really, in this point, he's concluding sort of his outlook on marriage. He's saying, listen, if you are unmarried, if you are single, if you've been widowed, the best thing you can do, if you can, if you can refrain from, you know, having sort of burning passion and desire, lustful thoughts, all of that, he says, listen, the best thing that you can do is continue to remain single, if you can do that. It's the best thing. It's not a command. He's not saying that you have to do this. He's just saying this is really the best option if you can handle that. Remember, we talked about this last week. Like Being single, according to God's word, according to earlier in chapter 7, is a gift. We don't always talk about that. We're, we're always kind of pushing people into getting married. But the reality is some people are called, and it is a gift from God to remain single. That is a gift. And Paul talks about some of the benefits of remaining single. You know, you don't have to worry about your spouse. You don't have to worry about kids. And you can really hone in and sort of focus and devote yourself to ministry, to the work of the Lord, to serving God, his kingdom, and, and seeing the gospel advance. That's a really good thing. You don't have all the sort of the extra things you've got to think about and, and worry about. Really, the point that Paul is making is not so much about whether you should be married or single, but it's about the place that God has you right now is about being content in that moment. So if you find yourself single in this moment right now, that you, you figure out through God how you can be content in that moment and serve him to the best of your ability. And if your desire is to be married, that we continue to seek God and pray and open that God opens that door for you to be able to be married at some point. And, of course, if you're married, be content in that. I got one amen. It was for my wife. That was great. I was trying to set you guys up. But it really is about being content in the, in the moment and the season that God has placed you in right now. Easier said than done. Amen? It's easier said than done. 
But that's really what Paul is getting at in, in this section. Now, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but Paul says that this is, of course, not a command, right? He says that this is not from the Lord. He says this is my opinion, and we talked about that. I said that earlier. He says, listen, this is my opinion. This is not necessarily a command from the Lord, but it is based on what the, the revelation that Paul was given from the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, I believe this is the best way in which you can live your life out. And then Paul sort of transitions, and he brings up really an uncomfortable topic. He brings up the topic of divorce. And, and divorce is really an uncomfortable topic in church, right? It's just sort of one of those things where as soon as I start talking about divorce, it's, it's like talking about giving or money in church. People just get nervous. They, get, they start getting, you know, they don't talk about that, Pastor. We don't want to go down that path. But Paul starts talking about divorce. And I love how just realistic and logical Paul is. Paul knows that, that people will get divorced for illegitimate, unbiblical reasons. Paul knows that. Paul knows that believers are going to get divorced for illegitimate reasons. Why does Paul know that? Paul knows this because God knew it. God knows that people will get divorced for illegitimate reasons. And so Paul is going to give us some, some very cl- sort of clear parameters and options for divorce. Now listen to me, I want to I make this sort of disclaimer. If you're in the room and you've been divorced, I am not coming down on you. Please hear my heart on this. That, that's not what I'm doing right now. Um, I am simply just trying to unpacking what the Word of God says. So this is not me trying to shame you or come down on you. That's, that's not my heart at all. I'm just I'm going to kind of go through what God's Word says and sort of let that lie, okay? Now, if you've, got, if you've been divorced and you did not have a biblical reason for divorce, you really have two options, according to God's word. Option number one is that you just remain unmarried. You, you stay in that. You remain single for the rest of your days. That's, that's option one. Option two is that you do everything within your power that you can possibly do to reconcile back to your spouse. You do everything you can to reconcile back to your spouse. Now, this is where the Bible gets, to me, a little bit complicated. Because the Bible doesn't give us clear parameters on what we do if we decide that I'm going to go reconcile back to my, my spouse, the one that you know we've been separated from, we got divorced, I decide I'm going to go reconcile back, and you go back to them and go, I want to reconcile this marriage and this relationship, and I want to work this out, and they go, nope. I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with this relationship. I'm not doing that. The Bible doesn't give us really clear parameters on what to do. And I wish it did. I wish it was just like it spelled it out, but it doesn't. So there are three reasons or or three grounds for divorce, according to God's word. Number one, and these are in no particular order, but these are the three sort of areas in which the Bible gives some, I I guess, um, some freedoms or grounds for divorce divorcing. One would be adultery. Jesus talks about this in in Matthew. Uh, He talks about it a few times, but adultery would be one of the reasons and and grounds for uh, divorce. Now, this gets into a gray area because I've had many people that have sat with me over the years in my office, and, and I've had people come to me and go, 
listen, I want to divorce my spouse, and the reason is because my spouse is um, addicted to pornography. And that becomes a, a difficult area to, to engage in. Because according to what Jesus says, if you even look at, right, lustfully, you've committed adultery within your heart. And so it gets into this, this area. So ad- adultery is one of those things where it becomes, yes, that is grounds, but it is kind of this gray area. And we've we got to work through that. So it's, it's difficult. The second one would be abandonment. You, you, you do everything you can. You try. You're trying to work on the relationship. And uh, the, the spouse decides that they're, they're just done. They, they want to leave. They want no more of the marriage. They want n- nothing more to do with you. Um, what I have found over the years is usually one and two go hand in hand. Usually, if somebody is abandoning the relationship, uh, adultery is involved at s- somewhere within there. Usually. Not always, but usually. And then the third is um, abuse. And that's talked about in, in Ephesians 5. Now, I, I want to say this. And and hear my heart on this. If you're in this room under the sound of my voice and you're in a relationship right now where there is abuse happening, number one is come talk to me. We we need to get you help. And two, you need to get away from that as soon as possible. That needs to happen. That can can be a a man abusing the woman or the woman abusing the man. It happens on both sides. Now, in all of these cases, all three of these, we are not at all, if one of these is happening, this is not a command to be divorced. I don't know if you've picked up on that, but there, there's no command. It's not like, hey, if, if your spouse is uh, cheating on you, then you need to get divorced. That's not what it's saying. There's no command here. But there are times within these relationships, within the marriage, that you don't have a choice. You've done everything within your power, everything you can, and there has to be separation. Then Paul moves on, and he talks about what do we do if our spouse is a non-believer? What do we do in that case? What happens if we're married, and my spouse, who I'm married to, is a non-believer? Now, I want to make this clear. What Paul is addressing here is a married couple, and one of them gets saved while they're married. This is not addressing you have a a believer, and then the believer steps into a a dating relationship with a non-believer. In fact, that is addressed, right? We talk about don't be unequally yoked. That stuff is already addressed. What Paul is talking about and what was happening in Corinth was you had um, people who were married, and then one of them experiences the message of, of Christ and becomes saved. And so what do we do in that situation when one of them all of a sudden becomes a believer? Paul says, listen, the best thing you can do if you are the believing spouse is that you need to stay in the relationship. And then he makes this odd sort of claim. He goes, because if you stay in the relationship, the unbelieving spouse is made holy based on you staying and and being in the marriage. Which sounds kind of odd, and it's actually been taken out of context a lot. This is not about that if 
if you're married, one of you gets saved and the other one is unsaved, then the other spouse, the unsaved spouse, now all of a sudden has salvation. They don't, they don't, like salvation is not transferable. That's not what Paul is talking about in this moment. Is that, am I making sense when I'm saying that? that? That because one is saved and the other one is not, that the one who's saved doesn't automatically mean like, hey, my salvation now transfers to you and now, that, now you're saved. That's not how this works. Maybe I can maybe I can illustrate this to, in a in a kind of an odd way. Um, who can I use? Who can I use? Who wants to be a guinea pig? Come on, come on! I need a married couple. I need. All right, Kim and Chuck, come on up here. Yeah, come on. Everyone wants to be used as the example until I say come up front, right? Then it's like no, no, no. Come on, clap for these guys. All right, you got to face everybody. Okay, so we know that Kim and Chuck, man, they're saved, right? Amen? You guys are saved, right? We don't need to have this moment right now in front of everybody, do we? Okay. All right, so they're saved. We know that. So just an example, okay? But let's just say that they were married. They were unsaved when they got married. And then Kim walks into Christian Life Center, okay, out of the blue, and Brian is preaching the word. So we know when Brian's preaching, right, there's a move going on in here, okay? We know that. And you have this encounter, and he gives the, you know, the salvation message, the whole thing, and you're like, yes, this is my moment. God's been speaking to me. And now you are, are saved, right? You're saved. Chuck, though, whoo, yeah, we got to pray for Chuck, right? I mean, Chuck's not saved, so we got to pray for Chuck. So, Kim goes home, but there is a, um, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Kim's life now. The moment she accepts Christ, there, the, she is filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? Like, she is filled, and, and, and like, God's doing some things in her life, okay? Because of that, come here, stand right here, Kim, okay? There's sort of this, like, this sort of outpouring of God's spirit on her life, okay? This, and I, and I hate to use this, but I'll use it, sort of this blessing that's coming upon her life, okay? And when that happens, there is going to be some, like, some of that may hit Kim here on the shoulder, and it might, like, bounce off. And it may just bless Chuck, even though Chuck is not saved. He is going to receive some of the blessing because of what Kim is receiving from God, it's sort of this like, this like overflow that comes onto Chuck's life. Okay, you guys can sit down. Thank you so much. Okay, give him a hand. This is a, a, a biblical principle that you see throughout Scripture. Um, I, I think about the house of Laban. And Laban confesses and he says, listen, my house was blessed because of the presence of Jacob being in the house. Like, there, there, was, there was, God was blessing Jacob, and Laban got to have some of that blessing because of Jacob. Um, I think about Potiphar, and, and the fact of Joseph's presence within that house. Potiphar's household was, was blessed. It received some of that blessing because of it. Um, you guys know the story. Think about Sodom, right? God goes, I'm going to destroy Sodom. And Abram goes, listen, if I can find 50 righteous people, 
50, will you not do it? And God goes, absolutely. And then he goes, well, wait a minute. I realized I probably 50 was a big number. Right? If you've been to Sodom, like, it's a lot. I probably too much. And he ends up whittling it all the way down to 10. And God goes, listen, with 10 righteous people there, I will not destroy the city. And so you can see what, in the example here, that the presence of a, of a believer in the home, how that can bless the non-believer. In other words, let me just sum it up this way. You, as the believer within that relationship, you are the best shot that your spouse has to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you, because some of you here in here are, are married, you've been married a long time, and your spouse is an unbeliever, and I, you need to be encouraged. That your, your faithfulness of praying and believing and seeking God, like you are your, the best shot that that spouse has to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Stay faithful in that. Keep pressing on. God's using you. And then Paul continues, and I love it, he then adds the kids in that. Right? He, he, the same example. He goes, listen, if, if you're married, and you get saved, and your spouse is still an unbeliever, you need to stay there because guess what? Your kids, the best shot they have of hearing about Jesus and coming to faith in Jesus is because of your faithfulness and being there in that relationship. So stay put. As long as it's safe and it's okay and there's, there's you know, nothing else crazy going on, be in that relationship. Stay faithful. God can use you. And then Paul makes sort of this statement. I love the statement. He says, uh, he says, listen, I want you to live in peace. And the reason I want you to live, and this is really basic stuff, just so you know. Like, I love how Paul does this because it's so basic. It's so simple. I think we overcomplicate it at times, but it really is simple. He says, listen, you can do everything you can. Continue to, to be in the relationship. Continue to be faithful. If you're the believing spouse, stay put, pray, seek God. Do whatever you can to, to make sure that the thing works out. But sometimes, sometimes it just doesn't work. Sometimes the spouse will leave. They'll just take off. And there's nothing you can do about it. They wake up one day and they go, listen, I choose not to love you anymore. I choose not to be in the relationship anymore. I'm, I'm gone. I'm out of here. And it's heartbreaking and it's crushing. But Paul then says, he says, let them go. Let them go. And you are no longer bound to them. And if that happens, you can live in peace. You know how you live in peace? You can live in peace by going, I did everything I can to reconcile the relationship, to make sure it's working. I prayed, I fasted, I sought good counsel, I went to counseling, I did everything I can. And yet they chose to leave. And Paul says, if that happens, you're no longer bound. All right, verse 17, here we go. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. I don't even know if that's biologically possible. But according to what was going on in culture at this time, they were trying to. So that's why Paul is referencing it. Paul's saying it because they were trying to reverse that. And so he's making reference. He's like, don't do it. And all the guys are like, oh boy, gosh. Oh, how's, okay. Anyways, was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? 
let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for nothing nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he, ha he was called. Were you a bondservant? In other words, th that term is actually uh, slave. So it says, were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, take the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. So Paul is addressing, he's saying, listen, whether you're married, single, divorced, widowed, remarried, whatever situation you find yourself in, he says, God is not finished doing a work in your life. Don't get caught up in all the stuff that needs to change and you want to change and you want to try to fix. He says, God can use the situation that you're in and, and he can use it to his glory. And then he brings up, of course, circumcision, which gets uncomfortable, but the point really isn't about circumcision. It's, it's just an example that he's using. It, it was this cultural thing that they were doing back then, and the Jews were telling new Christians that they had to be circumcised in order to be saved, and so people were going to go do it. But Paul's saying, listen, circumcision or uncircumcision, it's, it's irrelevant. It doesn't really matter when it comes to serving God. He's really using the same analogy when it comes to married or unmarried. He's saying, listen, it doesn't matter, but what matters is keeping the commands of God. So let me just pause here for a moment, because I, I want to I make sure this is clear. Chapter 7, in case you're not, we're not like, I'm, I'm not doing a good job of making sure that we understand chapter 7. It's a lot about marriage, divorce, and all the stuff he's talking about, right? We know that. But... It's really about being present wherever God has you in this moment in life. It's really what he's getting at. This does not mean that your circumstance, though, the, the place that you're at, can't change. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, like, wherever you're at right now in life, that's, you're stuck there for the rest of your days. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, your, your circumstances can change. We know that. But he says, wherever you're at right now in this moment, he says, honor God to the best of your ability. Serve God with everything within you. Whether you, you've got a lot of money or you've got no money. Whether you're married or unmarried, employed or unemployed. We honor God to the best of our ability in that season. That doesn't mean, though, that whatever season you're in, wherever you're at, that, that's not, that, that's, um, that you find yourself in, that that's you know, God's will for your life, just so you know. Sometimes it's our own, can I just be honest, sometimes it's our own like foolishness and stupidity that gets us in that situation, right? I mean, sometimes we, we, we look around the room and we go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm broke and nobody likes me. It must be God's will for my life. And you go, no, 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 you have terrible spending habits and you're mean to people. Like, that's why it's like, right? But we go, you see what I'm saying? Like, sometimes we just go, well, if we just sort of change our attitude a little bit and fix some things, things might turn around for us. It's not God's will that you remain in that place. 
So, Paul talks about circumcision, which always gets a little uncomfortable. And then he hits on another topic, which is even probably more uncomfortable. Because the way in which it's read, and people take this out of context all the time. I hear this. I I hear people who are uh, non-believers take this out of context. I even hear believers take this out of context. And Paul switches and he talks about slavery. And Paul tells people, according to this, right, the way he's saying it, it's like, remain in slavery. And everyone goes, I knew it. I know the Bible is, you know, bigoted, the whole thing, Christians, oh my gosh, you know. They promote slavery. And that's just taking it so out of context. That's not what Paul is saying in this moment. Paul is telling him, look, if you are a slave and you become saved, let me say that again. If you are a slave and you become saved, he says, people might bound you or shackle you, but God has now set you free. You are now free in Christ. People may hold you back. People may bound you. But according to God and God's word, if, if you are a slave and you become saved, now you are a freed man. That's good news. Amen? And then Paul gets really logical. He goes, listen, if you are a slave and you have the opportunity to be set free, take it. Like, don't stay in that circumstance. If, if they go, hey... Whoever, you know, has you is willing to set you free. Then he goes, man, move on. Take, take the opportunity. That's a great opportunity for you. You need to do that. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people I've sat with over the years. And, you know, they're, they're, maybe they're, they're, they're working a job and they're, you know, pretty low on the, you know, down on the, the ladder. And then all of a sudden... God starts doing something, they're really seeking him, and God opens the door, and they have this huge promotion, and they come to me, and they go, well, I don't know, Pastor, do you think I should take the opportunity? And I'm like, yes! If you've been seeking God and praying and doing everything, like, yes, God is opening that opportunity for you. Step into that. That's amazing. I think sometimes we overthink that stuff. Listen, no, no matter where you find yourself in life, wh- whether you, you find yourself slave or free, If you are in Christ, you are a freed man. Like, you're a freed woman. That's good news. And not only are you free on this side, but you spend eternity with him in heaven. How amazing is that? I got one person excited about heaven. That's awesome. (laughs) Amen to that. Listen, I'll end with this. My my prayer is that, honestly, I've been praying this, this week is that wherever you're at, sort of in, in whatever relationship, whether that be a married relationship, whether that be a, a, a relationship with a friend, maybe it's a relationship with, um, with estranged kids, whatever that is, my, my prayer for you is that you will fight for that relationship. Maybe it, for you, it's, you'll fight for those relationships. Maybe it's multiple relationships. That you begin to press in and seek God and begin to fight and fight like crazy for those relationships. Listen, can, can I just be honest with you? There are days and moments that it would just seems like it's just easier to throw in the towel and give up and, and walk away, right? On, on a lot of those relationships. Because of what you've been through, what they've put you through, what they've done to you. You go, man, I just want to be done with this. I want to be done with them. I never want to see them. I never want to talk to them. I'm out. 
And if I'm being honest, as if, I, if we went around and listened to some of your stories, I would probably agree with you and go, yes, based on what, what's happened to you and how people have treated you and all the stuff, you probably deserve that. You probably deserve to go, nope, I'm done with it. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm out. But I don't believe that's necessarily what God wants. You see, I want you to be able to live in peace. You know how you live in peace? Is that one day you're going to stand before Jesus just like I am. And I want to be able to say, and I want you to be able to say, Jesus, I have done everything within my power to reconcile the relationship. I have prayed. I have fasted. I have sought your word. I have sought counsel. I've gone to counseling. I've done everything in my power to reconcile and try to mend that relationship. And it, you may have done everything you can, and it doesn't reconcile, but you can walk away going, I have peace within that because I've done everything I can. But you may fight and fight and fight and pray and pray and pray and seek counsel and seek wisdom, and you may see a miraculous Holy Spirit moment where God moves and God restores something that you thought for sure would never be restored. And not only that, but you thought that you could never forgive them because of what they did to you, and yet... For, through the grace of God, you were able to let go and forgive, and my gosh, and, and you see the relationship reconciled back. That's what I want. I want that for you. I want that for me. And I believe ultimately it's what God wants. But it's not easy. I, I think reconciliation, I think forgiveness is one of the most difficult things that we as humans have to do. Amen? This is hard. And it's only through the grace of God, through his word, that we're able to step into that. And so that's my prayer. And I look around the room here, and I'm, I'm looking at married couples, and I go, man, if you're a married couple in this room, fight for your marriage. Fight like crazy. Marriage is ordained by God, which means the devil wants to destroy your marriage. Let's just, I'll put it to you as simply as that. Fight for your marriage. Keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting. Fellas, date nights, date nights, date nights. Come on now. Fight. Fight for your marriage. You got a close relationship, a friend? Fight for that relationship. Fight for it. Fight for the relationship with your kids. You go, man, my kids are a mess. They hate me. They want nothing to do with me. Fight for it. Fight like crazy. Pray and ask God to give you wisdom and get after that relationship. Try to reconcile back as best you can. It's not easy, but try to reconcile. Church, will you stand? Let me pray for us. Josh, you can come back up. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I ask in the name of Jesus as uh, we sing one last worship song and then spend a moment with, with some announcement. Father, I pray that you would continue to be with us as you have been and continue to move in this room. God, we love you so much. Father, I pray for those um, in this room that, Lord, this message, uh, not because of me, but because it's your word, has just penetrated hearts and minds. Father, I, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us wisdom and guidance and, and peace and uh, give us the right sort of next steps on what we need to do. Father, we love you so much. And everybody said, amen. amen.